Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The 500, the 500, J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend, the king of peace for Angelo, talking the 500 until the end, talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. What a weird album. Or is it? One of the most brilliant records you've ever heard in your life. And when you hear a song like Astronomy Domine, you don't know because it is all over the place. I mean, it's not it's not shine on you crazy diamond, but you don't get shine on without this shit right here. Uh, I already said the song name. I'm not doing it again. It's by Pink Floyd from their 67 album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. A lot of you have been waiting for this. Took us a while to get down another 347 records out of the five on the 500. What's up, everybody? Join me for the live stream of the Goddamn Comedy Jam October 18th, live from the Village Underground at the Comedy Cellar, and you can stream it at mintcomedy.com at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're around the world, do the math and figure out when it's going to be because it's going to be the shit. We get to do the TV show the way that we wanted to do the TV show. It's shot in HK with like fucking 10 cameras. It's got Big J Okerson, Yamanika, Saunders, Mateo Lane, Jessica Curson. It is the bands flying out from Los Angeles. It's our first one in New York as me living here in New York. I want to see everybody. Mintcomedy.com, guys. Guys. I don't know why I went down on that. Be there. October 18th. I mean it. $7.99. That's all it costs. Stream it anywhere or come to the live show. Got to go to ComedyCellar.com for tickets. Or you could go to my website, JoshAdamMyers.com for all the links. I'll have it up there. Follow me at JoshAdamMyers on all social media. Join the Patreon at Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. I mean this, guys. If, if you guys 
Don't sign up for this Patreon. I don't know if we're going to make it to the end. I hope we are. Um, but then, you know, what's funny is then I do an episode like this and I'm like, man, man, this is fun. I, I, you know, it's just, it's all the work behind the scenes. It sucks, but it's like doing the show. Uh, it means a lot, man. It's for Ange. It's going to be the 10 year anniversary on uh, my buddy passing away coming up January 3rd. Uh, 2022 um, so we're doing this for him but you know support the show if you listen man you're getting a free fucking show you're getting a free show and it's a lot of work five dollars please 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 support the show because if not this might go away one day we got a guest today this was so much fun because you're looking for a Pink Floyd guest that is like are they a fan of like old Pink Floyd or are they going to know anything about Sid Barrett and boom we found the guy that we needed. Blaine Kapach, this dude is hysterical. Mad TV, uh, Martin Short, he's at midnight. The guy is a comic genius. Uh, I've seen him open for David Cross years ago, and man, this was a fun conversation. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500. Uh, follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Here we go with number 347 out of 500 with Piper at the Gates of Dawn by Pinky Floydy. What's up, Fleece Army? Before we get into this podcast, I want to take a quick second to tell you about our new sponsor, Keeps. So, as you get older, you might start losing some hair. Mine's thinning out. It's not the best thing in the world, but you got rock stars that you know and love, and you see their heads are just fading away. The thing is, while a lot of these rock star songs are going to last forever, guys that you know in their 30s and 40s and 50s, their hair is not. In fact, two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35. So you got to use something called Keeps. I've been using it for a while, and I love it. It's simple. It's stress-free. It's a great way to keep your hair. They offer super convenient virtual doctor's consultations. The medication is delivered straight to your door every three months. Treatments start at just $10 a month, and packaging is so discreet, no one's going to have any idea that you're getting sent it. And I'll give you a testimonial. I started doing the pills, and uh, my hair stopped thinning, which is great. I do the drops, I do the pills, they work. If you've tried other hair loss treatments without any success and think this will be more of the same, just check out their customer testimonials. You can see quotes from real people and before and after pictures on their website. If you're ready to take action to prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com backslash jam500 to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com backslash jam500 to get your first free month free. Keeps.com, I'll say it. K-E-E-P-S dot com slash J-A-M five zero zero. And now back to the pod. Pink Floyd, which is, I mean, arguably probably one of the most important rock bands ever, which we'll dive into even more because I have some good questions about this. But Blaine, tell me about the first moment, because I feel like this is one of those bands that people can pinpoint Boom, Pink Floyd is now in my life. There's there's uh, BP and AP. Uh, when I was a kid, I knew Pink Floyd was an important band. I was born in 65. I'm an old man. I'm 56. So uh, this was in the 70s. And I knew they were big. And, I, and it wasn't a time when you could just 
get music online or listen to stuff with a click, you would have to buy a record. And if you didn't have the money to buy a record, you couldn't. And if you had other records to buy, whatever. Didn't they, didn't they, wait, didn't they start, didn't they start Napster in 67 though? Yeah, well, I think the the government had Napster yeah. in 68, I think. The DARPA net was early Napster. And the then uh, Lars Ulrich's parents came in and were yeah. dicks about it. I knew that Dark Side of the Moon was a big album and I wanted to have it because I thought I had to have it in this. I had to have this album and I had yeah. never really heard it. I'd heard a few songs. And so uh, I put it on my Christmas list and I think it was the last year I really had a Christmas list. And uh, it was like 14, something like that. I can't remember, but I put Dark Side of the Moon on my Christmas list and I, my parents got it for me. And on Christmas, oh, cool, Dark Side of the Moon, that's great. Earlier that year, I had got caught by my mom shoplifting from James Way, this nearby store in Red Lion near Dallastown. Nice. And I had stolen some Micronauts. You remember Micronauts, little no, space action figures? They were little action figures uh, 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 and, and they would, you know, interchangeable stuff, outer space stuff, different colors. And I had shoplifted a couple of them and I brought them home and I was messing around with them. And my mom knew how much money I had and where I kept my money. And she said, where did you get those? I said, well, I got them. And she said, hmm. And she counts my money. She goes, you didn't buy these. You still have money. And she got it out of me and she grabbed me. And my dad came out of the barbershop and yelled at me. He was very disappointed. And she took me back to the store and I went up into the manager's office and I had to confess to the manager and he sat me in his office and they both glared at me and it was very Bart Simpson-y. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, and then they let me, my mother paid for the things out of my money. And then we went back and my dad just gave me the riot act, whatever. And then later on Christmas, I'm downstairs and I'm, we're done opening presents, whatever. And my dad was kind of a jerk about it. He comes down with the bag with these action figures in it and he tosses it at me and he says, Merry Christmas. And he walks up the stairs and I was like, yeah, fucking asshole. What a, it was kind of a dick move. Yeah. And uh, so I put on, oh, there you go. There's, yeah, I had the blue one. Uh, that got me in big trouble with my dad. What, and what then shitty I, toys. Those are so yeah, shitty. Yeah, well, they were, they were cool at the time. You could like switch them around like parts, whatever. They're and they had, they had other like space attachments and fighter planes and things. And uh, uh, anyway, dad, he says, Merry Christmas and throws these things in my lap. And then I was like, ah, whatever. And then I put on uh, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. I'll listen to this. And uh, it made me want to kill myself. And I had never thought about it before. I had never been in that mood or I was never that bummed out. But the music is so, is so grand. Yeah. And it's so, it's, I mean, I don't want to get heady about it, but the music is really, really huge and very emotive. And when you hear stuff like that, your body wants to get the emotion out. You clap or you laugh or you dance or you sing along, whatever it is. And I just got so, I was sad and I got insanely sadder into a spiral. So now, uh, uh, but I still love the music. So it's hard for me to listen to it without, yeah. there's a couple on there that I like. But Pink Floyd always had that weird sort of uh, just, just massive emotional dereliction of duty in it but then later i worked in a record store in the york mall i worked at the listening booth shit town it was uh york in, pennsylvania york pennsylvania yeah gotta live gotta was, live gotta live in shit yeah, lives town. from there gotta get yeah dude i had the producer of that record on the podcast I had oh, uh, really? Jerry Harrison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I okay. we were talking about, dude, we were talking about the talking heads and like, I was like, can we just please talk about 
live throwing copper because it is so good. And I think half the podcast is me just talking about lightning crashes (laughs) and the word uterus. Placenta. Modern I mean, lovers. Talking about talk about modern lovers. I know no, we did talk about, about live. that. I know we did talk <laughs> about modern lovers. We talked about modern lovers. We talked about talking heads. We talked about all that. But we had a nice subsection of our love is like water. They, they played my friend's uh, under twenty one nightclub, Big City. My friend Leonard Clark had an under twenty one nightclub called Big yeah. City. <laughs> and they would have bands in there and uh, live played when they were still called Public Affection before they changed their name. Called public affection. Everybody called them pubic infection. That was the big funny thing we would do. We were under Kids. 21. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I was working at the York Mall listening booth. And uh, uh, this is around in the in 80, 81, something like that, 82. Whenever Final Cut came out. And Final Cut is my favorite Pink Floyd album. Because I think it's them at the height of their powers. I didn't really care about their personalities or them breaking up or anything. Uh, But I kind of wanted to regain ownership of my emotions with this album. Because I was so, I was exposed to the wall. And we watched the wall. And the wall was great. I saw it in the theater. And and and, and my my first kiss was to uh, Another Brick in the Wall, which was on the radio playing in the background. (laughs) And it bled over into the Michael Jackson off the wall. So back to back was my first kiss was Pink nice. Floyd. Nice. There's a Jackson. long kiss, dude. Those are, those are both four. Those are about nine minute songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I was, uh, it was the remix too. It was listened to a college station. <laughs> so I loved Final Cut. I, I really, it was, Gilmore was in it and he was fantastic. And then I guess that was about as the extent of my, of my Floyd intro and my Floyd career. I never saw him live, but later when I was living in San Francisco, I guess in 92 or 93, uh, a friend of mine, I just sort of accidentally backed into Sid Barrett and uh, and became a, a a massive Sid Barrett fan. I read, just devoured books on him. I got all the all the albums, all the outtakes, all the bootlegs. Became a completist for Sid. And Madcap Laughs is still probably top ten for me. Wow, Lane, I I really when you said you backed up into him or backed into him. I, I thought you were like, I was at the Walgreens. I was leaving <laughs> and he was coming out. I rear-ended him. That's, that, did you see my shock? I was like, no way. You saw Sid Barrett? I actually walked directly into Huey Lewis once. Did you really? Where was that yeah, at? Yeah, it was uh, uh, the California Pizza Kitchen on Ventura. <laughs> I was walking in and he was, he was walking out and he was like, he was wearing a suit and I saw him. I was like, wow, Huey Lewis. And he's turning around to wave goodbye to somebody as he's still walking. And then when he, by the time he turns around, he just walks directly into me and hit and bumps me. <laughs> and he goes, oh my God, I'm sorry. Excuse me. And I said, excuse me, Huey Lewis. <laughs> and uh, he, he kind of laughed and that was it. But, uh, but, I, but I had friends. I had to listen to a lot of, I would hear Sid here and there. And then I had a friend who was another comedian, Bridget Schwartz, very funny. And she okay. was a, uh, in, really into Sid. She goes, I have these books. You'd love Sid Barrett. And she was right. And I just got really into Sid Barrett. So uh, I never had a Sid Barrett period. This is honest to God, my first time ever listening to Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Um, it's very Sid. It's from what I've been told, you know, you know what? It's funny that you say that because I watched a documentary right before this. And when I, I saw the people in just, they had these little quick cuts of people talking about how important Sid Barrett was. It was like Cedric from Mars Volta. And I was like, yes, that's, I, I mm-hmm. get that. And I immediately see Mars Volta in this album, but you know, I, I just, I knew of him. 
I knew the history. I knew that he was the original dude. I knew the story about shine on you crazy diamond. Uh, and I knew that wish you were here is kind of about his life and, and being in the band and kind of the falling apart of it. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you know, or Adam, if you want to check, but I'm, I'm pretty sure the wall too. some of the wall is about Sid Barrett. Is that wrong? Well, well, he was sort of drifting in and out. He would have mysterious appearances in the studio, like the old story where there was a guy in the booth and he was just quiet and he was there and nobody knew who he was. And then they eventually realized it was Sid. I mean, you look at all, you look at pictures of him later in life and he looks like, you know, like yeah. a, a Tim Conway in a fat suit, just sort of yeah. guy walking around, shaved his eyebrows, bald, overweight, like wearing like a, like wearing like a complete, looking completely normal. That's it's a good look. It's a yeah, good one. I've always felt so bad for Sid. It's the classic meme, the how it started, how it's going. You know that where they have. The, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's Piper is how it started. And Madcap laughs is how it's going. How is Madcap laughs? Like, is it like it's beautiful? It's really beautiful. Uh, uh, it's it's got the weird Sid hooks in it. I think when you get Sid away from Pink Floyd, you can hear the difference. There was always a, an element be in Piper. You hear it a lot that there's the Sid thing. Sid is at the front of Piper, but Pink Floyd is behind him. That's his house band. Yeah. And they have that. They already have the that power and charisma that they have as a band. The music has that charisma to it that it's like, oh, yeah, there's something going on here that's that's this band's thing that puts you in this mood or evokes this kind of emotion. And it's, but it's got Sid in front of it going flowers and buttercups, gnomes in the garden. <laughs> oh, I'm having a nice time with mom. And it's, it sounds like a fourth grader in front of a, a band of jocks. Yeah. And as soon as they sort of, as soon as he burned out and was jettisoned like a Saturn five rocket and drifted off into the background, they kind of became, they were still Pink Floyd, but they didn't have that, that playful childish Sid voice anymore. And Sid didn't have that voice anymore either. You listen to Madcap Laughs and there's, it's trying to be playful and he's going back to things that he grew up with and he's being nostalgic for stuff that he's trying to put into words and music. It's really heartbreaking. You can hear him turning pages on the lectern. You can hear his, the pick on the strings is louder than the chords. Wow. And it's like, I, I remember reading that D David Gilmore went in and they said, can you please make these recordings into something cohesive can you do something to make sense of this could he because he would have weird time changes and he would start a verse where he didn't think he was going to start it you know like listening to johnny cash kind of starting to sing whenever he wanted to or bob dylan would just kind of yeah. come in and six beats instead of eight and then that but that was it he would commit a five and then seven and then two and he would he would he had the harmonies in his head that he was matching and david gilmore was very close to him that's how david gilmore got into floyd was he replaced sid because they were they were buddies and uh so dave would come in and try to play and tie the songs together with his playing a little bit so that was very kind of him i always really loved david gilmore for that that he was he was kind to Sid. that the other band guys were were rude or dismissive at least i thought so so to go off of what you just said i, I was reading that the way he exited the band or not exited but the way they in a sense kicked him out was they the shows had started getting more erratic he was losing touch with reality and and it was getting worse and worse and worse and they were going to either like a practice or like a gig and and they look at each other and go should we pick up sid and and somebody's like Nah, no bother. And then they just drove off and never yeah. picked him up. Ghosted by Pink Floyd. I mean, <laughs> well, this is this is the thing. And this is what I want to ask you, because, you know, 
this record on my first listen was a hard, hard listen. Now, I'm not saying I am completely, you know, unattracted to psychedelic rock. I dig psychedelic rock. The shit that I, I mean, I love. I mean, I don't know if you consider Sergeant Pepper or at least elements of it or even Revolver having Tomorrow Never Knows or oh, yeah, there's, things like, there's things like that that I love. But this was like. You know, there's there's moments of this where it's just completely just mayhem. And then it comes together much like Bitches Brew. And there's like elements where it's like, what, what the fuck? Ah, OK. But, you know, what this record made me do was realize how much I love the other Pink Floyd records. Like I, <laughs> I, Dark Side, I, I dude, I've been listening to Dark Side. I've been listening to Animals. I listened to The Wall. I listened to some metal that I that I really dig. Uh, and just so on and so forth down the road. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same so if that sounds cool you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and i'll see you there and and this is the thing how does pink floyd or how do you think pink floyd went from this album in 67 to like metal and dark side in just five years well i think that like i was saying before i think sid was the playful thing he was the little child in the band and his his weird imagination was kind of driving everything, but they were very serious. I have always, you know, I mean, David Gilmore is as much as I, as I love him, he's like super serious. I'm sure he's a nice, fun, witty guy and stuff, but they're all, they were all very adult back then. And that was the, the, and the, and Pink Floyd's music is very adult to me. When they got rid of him, they instantly grew up and started getting into their, their own thing. They didn't have to deal with the weird chord changes, but they were still proper musicians. I think the thing with Piper is that it's Piper at the gates of dawn. I don't want to be the guy saying Piper. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I was listening to it this morning. I listened to it a couple times this morning. My wife left because I was listening to it. <laughs> and it sounds like, as much as I love it, it sounds like a Mr. Show sketch. Yes. Every, it sounds like a, a joke about yeah. this kind of band, but it was this kind of band. It's I think it was them trying to, they were very great live. They played at that club, the UFO, which was the big psychedelic place to be back in, in whatever 
uh, year they were. Yeah. So they had this incredible live show and it was very visual. They would have all sorts of light things going on and, and, and they made it a, uh, they made it a proper event. And so the, the Piper at the Gates of Dawn stuff is them recording that, trying to catch that lightning, I guess, mm-hmm. that live feeling. And they were good enough to do it. It's all great. If you would see that in a, in a club with weird amoeba lights going on and gel and liquids and, and just chest rattling bass and mm-hmm. drums and the power of the live thing, that, that's kind of, it's, I listen to the Ramones and I love the Ramones, love the Ramones. And I think, on, I think their records are so thin and weak they're so thin. The guitars are so weak. And I saw them in Baltimore at Hammerjacks in the 80s. Nice, and my dude. ears, My ears were ringing for three or four days. They were so fucking loud. And, the, and the, the volume was an instrument. There's such power in volume when you go to see a live show. And uh, uh, that's kind of not on here. It's mostly, you know, jumping through the garden with my mom and my <laughs> socks on the clothesline. And he's, you know, uh, I'll see you. And, it's very, very Sid. And yeah. he got, he grew up by Madcap Laughs. It's Madcap Laughs is brilliant. Yeah, I definitely need to listen to that. I mean, anyway, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm babbling. No, no, no. I, you know, what's great is that three minutes into doing this podcast, I was like, dude, you're the perfect guest for this because it's like you're, you're looking for people to, to dig on Pink Floyd and especially this record. This isn't Wish You Were Here. This isn't Dark Side of the Moon. No, there's a, side- it's, it's two different bands. Yes, it's 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 that's what I'm saying is that like this is five years before one of the greatest albums mm-hmm. in the history of music, one of the greatest selling records of all time, Dark Side of the Moon, which I have a really weird story about because this is my I'll give you my little Pink Floyd before we go because I have more questions about Sid. So I had a friend and I got to shout this out because he passed away back in fuck, I want to say like the late 90s. Uh, he had a lot of a lot of problems. but He was a good guy. Uh, my friend Mike Optenacher and Mike uh, was huge, huge into Pink Floyd. And at the time. In 95, I think that was, it was literally when I was hanging out with him was when the Beatles anthology came out. Okay. We were doing the ABC show. And oh, I, right, right, right. And I became obsessed with the Beatles still to this day, you know, much like everybody says, they're one of the greatest bands of all time and blah, 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 blah. We love them, yeah. we love them, we love them. They're but really he, good. They, I mean, they've got a people, couple people songs. Are, people are down <laughs> on them lately, but they're really good. I know. It's like they're trying to cancel <laughs> Paul McCartney. It's like you know, adorable. It's, it, I don't want to be the Beatles guy, but just for a second, it's like when I was saying that thing about musical charisma, that the music has something beyond who's, who's in the band, that ge- it generates something. There's something about the Beatles that's even past that. It's really otherworldly. And it's oh. like, and when you, I mean, you can hear anybody, like Tom Petty singing, uh, uh, you know, doing... Uh, I need you by George Harrison. It's like, wow, that's great. It's not the Beatles. There's no. something, there's something about it and it won't be the songs. It's not the songs that last. It has to be the recordings of them doing the songs. That's where the, that's what they captured. Oh, it, it's anyway. I mean, sorry. No, George Martin, George Martin is, I mean, when they say, you know, he's the fifth Beatle, he's the fifth Beatle. Like that guy, I mean, I don't know if, I mean, he's Professor second, X. Exactly, man. <laughs> yeah. He's Nick Fury, man. He just knows everything and he knew what he was doing and 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 they're brilliant and and so when i'm into the beatles we'd go to mike oftenacher's house to smoke pot and do drugs and and he would play pink floyd and i remember 
this was a different group of friends that I had a whole, I had a whole nother group of friends that were very meathead jocks that we, they really would venture into more like LSD and they started doing that stuff and I'd go to hang out with them and they loved bands like sublime and, and, you know, real just shitty rock and roll reggae. And I remember we we're about to trip balls one day and I just got in dark side of the moon. And I was at Jesse's house and I go, and there's like five of us there. And I'm like, hey guys, I was like, I can't listen to this anymore. We're about to trip. How about I run home? My friend Mike gave me this record, Dark Side of the Moon. I was like, I'm gonna go get, I heard it's perfect for tripping on LSD, do. Let's, I'll go grab it. We'll trip, we'll listen to it. It's gonna be incredible. And they're like, all right, whatever, man. And I run home. And by the time I get back, the LSD is starting to course you know, through our bodies, everybody's kind of looking around all creepy, you know, it's, they're getting the squigglies. And I put on Dark Side of the Moon, which is, you know, of course it starts with breathe, speak to me. So it's that like, ah, ah, and then yeah. it drops into one of the most beautiful songs of all time, you know, breathe, breathe in. There. And I look at him, I'm like, right guys, this is the best. And then I look <laughs> at Jesse and Jesse just goes, dude, put 311 back on. And then they put on 311. And yeah, they just want to dance. And I just <laughs> had a bad trip and I, and I freaked out. <laughs> Psychedelics are such a powerful, powerful being and they can be used in very helpful ways. Like mushrooms have really helped me over the pandemic. It really helped me with my PTSD and just connecting with people. Um, LSD is something that I had a complete and utter schizophrenic breakdown when I was in 10th grade. And I mean, I saw, it's almost like people say when they take ayahuasca, where they see everything that they're afraid of and they face it. Now I'm only in 11th yeah. grade, but I saw, I mean, just everything. And, and it's a little young to be doing way too shit. young, way yeah. too young, way too young, but you know, I, I turned out pretty good. So meh. I mean, you know, <laughs> six and 12 is half a dozen. What are you going to do? But that being uh, said, isn't that 311? <laughs> thank God. It was the 311. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was just their reaction to it. And I think just poo pooing, just one of the greatest <laughs> records ever made. And the last time, sorry, the last time I did acid, uh, my friend and I uh, went to see Joan Armitrading at Redondo Beach, at the Redondo Beach Community Center. And uh, it was one of those things like, yeah, man, I'm going to go see the show. It'll be great. And it's like, okay. And she was really terrific. And it was very well behaved. Everybody's sitting in chairs. And I'm like, why am I on acid for this? Because <laughs> you're cool. fucking Joan Armitrading. Sorry, it was like a 311 moment. Like, why am I? Why are we listening to this, man? She and was great. Like, she was but great. This, this is the thing, though, about this band, especially this album. I mean, first of all, did you ever take psychedelics and listen to this record? Yes. You yes. have, yeah. Do you I remember? I would, I would smoke pot. I would do acid. Uh, you know, back when I was in Baltimore, that was when I would be listening to this. Where'd you live in Baltimore? Because I lived in Canton Square for seven years. Uh, I lived in Bolton Hill for a while. Uh, we lived down in Canton on Fate Street in a big burned-out bakery for a for a year and a half. Then I moved into a place on Biddle near the uh, near the the Symphony Hall. I could see my other old place from it. Uh, it was great. I loved Baltimore. Love Baltimore. I That's where I started. I started stand up there at Charm City Comedy Club in 85. Wow. That's why, and, I, and I moved down there uh, uh, when I was old enough, I guess, you know, as soon as I could. I could afford it when I was, because uh, I was living in Dallas town, about an hour okay. north. I never did comedy in Baltimore. I did it. I started in DC at a place called Wise Acres. Okay. Wise Acres. 
I don't, I've never been there, but I know of it. It was in Tyson's corner and like a okay. Ramada. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and then I immediately, I did two open mics and I was like, I'm ready for LA. And then, <laughs> and then I went to LA and, and ate shit for a couple of years and I got to go back. Uh, I've done like the DC improv and the comedy loft and all those places. And I've, I've only done stand up twice in Baltimore. I did McGoobies. McGoobies. Uh, oh, it used to be, it used to be called Tracy's at the Bowman. Is, was that when it was a lot? Yeah. Was, was that was, it was in the hotel, like below in the basement. Yes. It was like, so it used did, to be a restaurant upstairs. So yeah. So I did that. And then I did my friend, Ryan Sickler plays this, uh, this crab house uh, that's actually great called Jimmy's Seafood, Jimmy's Famous Seafood. And we okay. gone back there and he headlines. And it's, it's, it's when you say crab house, it sounds like it's going to be a shithole. This place is beautiful. The food's great. Uh, <laughs> we can sell it out like four or 500 people. They can pack them in there. Wow. Um, but it's great. But it's like Baltimore is, you know, it's, it is Charm City and I love it. And, and I think, you know, to compare it to this record, to bring it back, I mean, there is something very charming about this record, too. Do you like how I did that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I do love it. <laughs> it's it, it does. It does. Uh, uh, once you go in there, you're in there. I think they could have stopped with Interstellar Overdrive, to be honest. Really? My favorite thing on this album is uh, Pow R to uh, Talk H. I always mess it up. Yeah. But I love that one. I, uh, I would play that one on, uh, on a loop when I'm writing or doing stuff around the house. My, I remember my, when my kid was four, he was like, please turn that off. It's scaring me. There's no Sid on that one. There's no Sid going, oh, I'm you know, on a bike with a mouse and wearing a waistcoat. <laughs> it didn't have that stuff. And I love that stuff because th that all leads to, to Robin Hitchcock. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. Uh, so I, I love all of that. But when you just hear when you hear Pink Floyd and it's before Gilmore. So it's Pink Floyd with Sid on guitar. It's a different tone of guitar and a different vibe of guitar. So uh, uh, but still that power is there. So then let me ask you this, because I like I've been listening to all those other records. And then you come to find out that something like Animals is not on the list of the 500 greatest albums like like, uh, what do you think about something like that? Do you do you feel like something like like animals being left off, but this being on here makes sense? Or, uh, you know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would think that if that having this on is more of uh, having a uh, an artifact. It's like this is okay. this is this is the first Pink Floyd. This is with with Sid Barrett, who is his own thing in music and. This is a historical document more than anything else. Maybe not their best work. Yeah. But definitely uh, definitely of interest. And, it's, and it is unlike all their other stuff. So it's, it's kind of strange. I, could, I remember uh, when I heard How Soon Is Now by the Smiths. Mm -hmm. It was the first thing I'd ever heard by them. And I was like, this is fantastic. This is the, one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Yeah. And I bought Hatful of Hollow. I had my money that I could spend on an album and I bought Hatful of Hollow. And the rest of it's all Morrissey and he's oh, so depressed. It's very jangly. And I was so mad that it wasn't heavy and weird like How Soon Is Now. And I, I hated the Smiths for years and came around years ago. And now I'm a huge Smiths fan, but I, I was mad at them for leading me down the wrong path. And I think that's what Piper would do if they heard it before the other Pink Floyd stuff. Yeah. But you would, but you would hear other Pink Floyd stuff before you heard this anyway. You're always going to hear Pink Floyd stuff. Yeah. And that's the thing about this band is that this is something that just gets, 
I mean, it's it's just so buried at the beginning of their catalog. I mean, it's the first record they ever did. Uh, and it's like everything else you hear that you would hear on the radio, like there's nothing from this record, I think, is that has ever been played on the radio in my lifetime that hasn't been like, it's a Pink Floyd day. Well, we're going to do a deep dive on WTTT or whatever. Before I was, before my Sid phase, uh, Lucifer Sam was covered by Love and Rockets. It was a B-side of Love and Rockets, and I was huge into Love and Rockets. So I loved it, and when I heard it on this, I was like, oh my God, that's fucking Love and Rockets. But it didn't have the, <laughs> it didn't have the, the, modern power of love and rockets but i was like oh, okay this is a completely different thing and i love it yeah and and uh what was the uh the other one the other one uh oh there's oh bike my favorite band is supergrass love supergrass and they did an album of covers under the name hot rats it was gaz and danny the drummer and guitar player they did a album as as hot rats and they covered bike and it's, yeah, I've got the bike. You can ride it if you like. And, and it, he, it's a very playful song, very Sid song. And then it just falls apart and gets weird and psychedelic at the end. And lots of live noise, I guess, that they would try to do when, on, when they recorded the Piper thing. But when I hear Supergrass, my favorite band, do bike, it sounds, it doesn't have that magic to it. There's, it's missing the Sid thing. It's missing mm. the Pink Floyd charisma to it. It has the Supergrass thing going on but it doesn't have the, the charm or the, the weirdness of the original. Am I talking about this too much? No, 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 please. Because I, like I said, man, this is, this is when we were like putting out the feelers to, to the, to the listeners, AKA the fleece army, we love them. Um, they, you know, people were saying this is, they, they were curious who he would get for this because this is an interesting record. You know, it's a lot, like I said, a lot of people, don't you know it's like, like let me ask you this like how many how many pink floyd fans do you think fire up this album every month i yeah i would think that not not too many this is the this is like a vintage car in the garage that you f- fire up to make sure it run, starts and then you don't <laughs> pull it out and wash it and then you put it back it's not something that's not it's not something i sit down and play like i said that uh pal t to talk h or pal r to talk h i love that that's on my it comes up on my shuffle all the time. It's one of my favorites because it's a weird soundscape that I like. It's yeah. good, good to think about other stuff too. Yeah, I, I just, this is like, I'm telling you, like I, I had to force myself to get through this record because I like to do it from start to finish when I put it on. And unless there's like a real song that just sticks out and then I listen to it over and over and over, nothing really stuck out that really blew me away. There were some things, like we'll go through the, some tracks in a minute where I was like, this started great and then it fell apart or if they just would have expanded on this, it could have been a pop song or a real rock song, but it was just, you know, it's like, I I think that the reason this is, this is the, this is the thing is because of Sid Barrett being so mysterious. I mean, let me ask you, do you think there is a more mysterious rock artist from the sixties than Sid Barrett? Well, yeah. uh, I don't know if mysterious, yeah. Mysterious is pretty good. He's a good mysterious rock star in that he went into a crazy hole and disappeared. Yeah, I guess he, I guess he is. I was going to say Jim Morrison, but he died. That's not very mysterious. No, but I also feel, I also feel like there's enough stuff to know about Jim that you can make a movie and book after book after book, you know? I think that the mystery is, is kind of sad because it turns out that like decades later, you find out it wasn't really a mystery. The guy took acid and it just exacerbated underlying mental problems that he had. And he just descended into madness and 
gave it all up, threw it all away, whatever you want to say about it, like just, and then died of diabetes. Yeah. I don't know if it's cautionary or mysterious, what it is. It was just a, an unfortunate casualty, I, I thought. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. This is that you, know, you don't have to name names when I ask this question, but you know you've been in comedy you know for a minute. I I you know I did. Pat Oswalt. Pat, I knew it, dude. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, actually, I saw you. I saw you. We didn't get to meet, but one of the first times I ever went to the DC Improv, you opened up for uh, you opened up for David Cross. Oh, David so Cross. Is, I remember that show. That was fun. Yeah, man, and you you killed it. And it was like so. I've always been. This 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 fan of yours, but also there is like a respect that I have for you and Dana and all of these guys, David, that are like, you know, in my opinion, some of the you know, you were in this era of comedy where, you know, it was it was cooler than cool. Do you know what I mean? And it's like it really it's still it's cool now, but it wasn't as cool as it was in the 90s. But I know you've met so many brilliant people. Do you is there a comic that has that Sid Barrett story that you you almost could be like? man, if they just would have, they, they could have, you know what I mean? They would have or could have. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if anybody, no, I don't know if anybody really crashed like that. I know people, I mean, Mitch Hedberg died. Yeah. That was, that was super unfortunate. That's that I guess would be as about as close as I could get because he was really smart and weird and he lived in his own universe and everybody wanted to get in on it. And then nobody knew what he was really going through. And then it was over. Yeah. Maybe that would be as close. No, I think that a hundred percent because the legend of Mitch Hedberg still lives on. People still talk about him. He was, he you was know, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He's influential to so many other like set up punchline comics that you see. I mean, I remember one of the first open mics I ever did in, in DC I remember they, they they screamed at this guy for basically ripping off Mitch Hedberg style. I mean, like forced him <laughs> off the stage and were like, get off. Little did they know that two comics later, I was going to do a complete and utter ripoff of Dane Cook. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was 2005, too 2006. Many cooks, too many cooks. Too many cooks in the scoodly-doo. I, I just think that there's a mystery about Mitch Hedberg and there's a mystery about Sid Barrett. And, and you know, when you put all of that into perspective and then you add it to the music in this record, 
that's why, in my opinion, this is on the 500 greatest albums list. I mean, there's nothing really that sticks out. So hold on, before we get into some of the tracks, I don't want to go through the history, history of Pink Floyd. They were formed in 65, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're British. Uh, Dame Judi Dench used to date Nick Mason. I just made that up. Um, <laughs> I, I buy that. I saw yeah, a yeah, book yeah. signing at the old Virgin Megastore. Yeah? Crescent Heights. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's the closest I got to a Floyd. Really? I, there was a moment, I don't know you were there, but there was a minute where Paul McCartney was going to the Hollywood Improv for Comedy Juice. Out of all the shows, he was going to the most like aggro, like male, like, yeah, it's like Comedy Juice. And like Paul McCartney all dainty in the back, like, I really enjoyed you, Crystalia. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a whole thing. You know who made me laugh was that only Adams. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, uh, I know he was going to. There was a time when when Largo, the old Largo, was the place to be, and McCartney started going to shows on Friday to see John Bryan. And I think he showed up at one, and word got out, and the next one you couldn't get near the place. And I think he showed up again, and there were. Flanagan says, "Oh, there are women like like women in their fifties, like rolling over his car hood, screaming." <laughs> it's like people were going crazy for him. It's like, of course he's going to stop coming here. I touched Paul McCartney's hand and the, his skin was so soft. It was like ultra it was suede. What, it was what I imagine Lloyd Bridges' hands feel like. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. And, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, makes right, sense. it was soft and, and elderly, and yet he like had a, like, like a, cali- a couch. Yeah, dude, but like really, really sweet. Really, really sweet, sweet hands. All right, so here's the background on this record. All right, so this is their debut album, and the only album made under founding member Sid Barrett's leadership. It's released August 5th, 1967, and the name comes from the title of Chapter 7 of Kenneth Graham's 1908 novel, The Wind in the Willows, which refers to the nature god Pan, who plays his pan pipes at dawn. The album was recorded at EMI Studios on London's Abbey Road from February to May 1967. This is really cool. While the Beatles were recording Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in the other studio there. Is this the is this the Sgt. Pepper's of Psychedelic Rock? No, I think Sgt. Pepper is the Sgt. Is the Sergeant Pepper of Psychedelic Rock. This was a concurrent thing that was going on. It was a completely different scene and just as valid. Good. I like that. Perfect answer. Because I was going to say, it's like there's moments of Sergeant Pepper that are so accessible. Like, like there's some psychedelic shit on there. But for the most part, I mean, it's it's just this very epic. So, oh, Sergeant Pepper was using them. It was them using the studio as an instrument. And I think Piper was Pink Floyd using the studio to capture their instruments. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. Uh, So Barrett was the band's primary songwriter, uh, though two tracks on the album are credited to the band collectively, and one track was written by Waters. The album was produced by Norman Smith, who would go on to produce two more releases by Pink Floyd, A Saucer Full of Secrets, which I know has a couple of tracks. Yeah. A couple of tracks by Sid, and then Umaguma. Uh, which is one of my favorite album titles ever. It's very like, oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. No singles were released from the album in the UK, only one in the US, and the album was initially a self-titled release in the States. The album is considered to be a pivotal psychedelic rock record and features an unusually heavy use of echo and reverb to create a unique sound. That's perfectly said. It peaked at number six, in the UK and at number 131 on the US Billboard 200. LSD consumption by Barrett is considered to be a heavy influence on this record. <laughs> really? I know. So, so 
<laughs> so so this is the thing. Before we get into the tracks, it's I always like to say is we talked about this. We had uh, Tom Papa on, and we did. Ah, oh, uh, so and, funny. He's so funny, such a nice guy. But this is the thing. There's we did Russ Never Sleeps by Neil Young. Okay. And there's that that question. Not question, but is it is it be- yeah, I guess it's a question. Is it better to burn out or to fade away? And my question to you before we get into these tracks is what do you think would have become of Pink Floyd? if Sid Barrett hadn't lost his mind? Huh, I don't know. You know, uh, maybe it would have sort of been the kind of blend of of what they became and what he became. He got darker and stranger, but uh, that was because of his psychosis and his drug use. And and he was away from the influence of those guys. Uh, I think that, that with guys like uh, Roger Waters in a band, he would have been pushed to the side no matter what would have happened. So I think uh, maybe they would have gone on with him a little bit longer. I think what did happen was he got fired from the band and they went on without him and became huge. Yeah, I, that's I actually just, that's what actually happened. That's I know that's what actually happened, but it's like, man, it's like, oh God. What if I, Hitler I, was bionic? I then we then we'd all be speaking German and eating Spatzel, bro. And I love Spatzel, so I would dig this shit. I would dig this shit if I was eating spate. So I went to a German restaurant with my buddy, Greg Chait, who actually helped me write. I got to give him a shout out. He helped me write some questions for this because Benjamin, our other researcher, was unavailable. Uh, and 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 Greg and I went out to this restaurant to get German food before we went to go see the Heartless Bastards at Bowery, which are great. Do you like the Heartless Bastards? Do you no, know them? Don't you know should them. dig them. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, send you, I'll send you a link to a song. And if you don't okay. like that song, then, you can, then, then tell me to fuck off because that's because okay. that, the mountain is the shit. We go out to this restaurant because he's visiting me here in New York, and they, and I ordered like like a Wiener Schnitzel, and I was like, "Oh, can I get the side of Spetzel?" And they were like, "We're out of Spetzel tonight." And I was like, "Let's go!" Right? I can't be here. This is a German restaurant without Spetzel. No Spetzel. No Spetzel. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but I love it. What are today's Spetzels? <laughs> we have a Spetzel on Spetzel, and uh, <laughs> and and pretzel. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think. And I hate to say this, what I'm about to say that comes out of my mouth. Okay. I, I am thankful that Sid Barrett lost his mind because I, because if we don't, if this doesn't happen, we don't get animals. We don't get wish you were here. We don't get shine on you crazy diamond. We don't get the wall. You don't get any of that music if he keeps his shit together. And yeah. I, and I know that sounds horrible, but there is beauty out of tragedy and, you know, and Sid is not forgotten. Do you know no, what I mean? Like no. we, we do. You, he's celebrated. You, he's celebrated. He, it's almost, it's like he's, he didn't burn out. He's, he's now like a legend. He burned out, he burned out and faded away and still became a legend. It so still it, became a legend. And so, I mean, listen, if, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's like, it's like what I say about Nirvana is like Nirvana. I don't think Nirvana would be Nirvana if he doesn't die. You know, I think that they make a couple more records. They're not as good. We're always like, damn, they're not fucking never mind. So, all right, so let's talk about some of the music. So it opens with astronomy, wait, astronomy, astronomy domine, domine. Thank you. Cause I would have said domine. Um, so I, I said, this sounds like the acid trip I had in 11th grade. What I really thought about this that was cool was that there's some elements that I heard of like Radiohead, OK Computer in the guitar work and in the vocals. Do you have the clip that I asked for, Adam? Play a little bit of that. Yeah. 
So this is this is what I'm saying about like there, these there's moments in this that I just wish they would have expanded on. Like there's movements that are so powerful, and then I feel like it just gets overshadowed by some of the noise or the the guitar work. But it's like when it's it's just it's there's beauty in this record. And oh thoughts, right, well it's 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 the same. Radiohead has that same kind of thing. They have those the the power of the music and the chords. The chord changes give you that weird vertigo, like we've gone over a hill and then your stomach goes out. It's uh, uh it's it's very powerful and emotional, and it's why I have I, Radiohead and Pink Floyd are very similar to me in that I have to listen to them on purpose. I can't just put them on and do stuff. Or I'm going to put on Kid A and uh, vacuum. You have to be you have to prepare yourself emotionally because it's going to take you. Like I said, the 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 music is going to make you need to release some kind of emotional response or or echo or something. So, uh, uh, and if the music isn't like dance music, you're not going to dance. You're going to get sad or upset or yeah. Radiohead makes me worry about the future and Pink Floyd makes me uh, worry about the past. Oof. So it's the same kind of, but it's the same kind of chord progression shit that fucks with your head. You go, that's so great. I wish they did that more of that and less of the thing that makes me want to kill you know, myself. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Jump <laughs> off a ledge. Yeah. So. I can listen to Radiohead passively. I can put them on when I'm cleaning. Like, I'm not putting on, like, King of Limbs. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, the first few records, even... even National uh, Anthem, I'll fucking... I'll drive fast to it. Yeah, 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 dude. It's a gang, 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 gang. It's They're fantastic. Fantastic band. Very influenced by Pink Floyd. And not just being the British and, and all of this and in their lyrics, but, you know, it's a really... if. If, if this is what gets, if this record is what gets us to in rainbows, then, then thank you, Sid. Yeah. And it also, it also led to, uh, if he wouldn't have lost his mind, we wouldn't have madcap laughs and he wouldn't have had the baton pass to Robin Hitchcock, whom I adore. Robin Ooh. Hitchcock is fantastic. I got to check and, him out. And wouldn't be here without, without Sid or he would be, but he'd be different. So I found this uh, little little uh, quote from Roger Waters in an interview with Nick Sedgwick. Uh, he described this song as the total sum of Barrett's writing about space, yet there's this whole fucking mystique about how he was the father of it all. I just love that. I feel like there's like a there's a real respect between, you know, and sadness too, because they 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 know without Sid, they're they're not making these other records. And so they owe him a debt of gratitude for basically being at the forefront of the band at the beginning. Like you said, yeah. you said it perfectly, man. Him, the front man, they're the backing band. Like, I love that. Well, like the, they, the foot in the door that they had was Sid's. It was Sid's foot in the door that got them signed and his songs and his weirdness. And, but they were still a great band. Great band. So, you know, but they were, you know, it just that the amputation of that playfulness, uh, uh, let them be let them be themselves mm -hmm. moving on lucifer sam great i love it this this i don't know if you sam cat <laughs> fuck yeah dude i don't know if you agree with me but uh, here play the opening just play a little taste of it adam
Uh, this this reminds me of like a James Bondy like '70s spy thriller feel. Very very yeah. twangy. Very John Barry. Very John Barry. This song was covered by the Black Crows, the Flaming Lips. Uh, Black Crows doesn't make sense, but the Flaming Lips, MGMT, and Bauhaus. They uh, they all covered that. Black Crows, really? And, yeah, Love and Rockets. Ooh. Was it Love and Rockets? Or am I thinking of, uh, you know, it might have been Bauhaus. I feel terrible. I was in a Bauhaus and, Lo- and Love and Rockets. They were, you know, they were adjacent. Adam, but, find uh, out for uh, us. What? Yeah, yeah, please find that out. It's driving me crazy. Now I'm going to, hey, uh, it was actually a Bauhaus. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a dude that does that, dude. We get yeah, it. I, know. I get it. I get shit on constantly oh, man. I, know, I know i know shit on constantly you know, i, I but, saw uh i got to see bauhaus at the palladium in november before the the pandemic it was the last real big show that i saw i was oh, so glad i saw bauhaus oh, i go see him love and rockets covering lucifer sam it was love and rockets Bauhaus did it. Did Bauhaus do it too? Find the Bauhaus version. Don't know what color. I have. I have no no problem listening to Bauhaus and Love and Rockets <laughs> cover just, Pink Floyd. Let's just do that for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Can I say, uh, as far as Pink Floyd covers, uh, uh, Mojo Magazine always puts out really good compilations, and they did a, an article about Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett, and they had uh, uh, they did a, a track for track cover version of the madcap laughs by all these other bands Ooh, uh, uh, like, you know, captain sensible and all this stuff. But the best one on there is a cover of golden hair, which is a song on uh, madcap laughs that he, that's Robert. It's a Robert Frost poem that he set to music. Ooh. And there's a cover of it by hope Sandoval from Mazzy star. And it is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. I would put it on in the background and just on repeat for hours it's gorgeous. She has a beautiful voice and the music is so haunting and gorgeous. Also, I can't recommend it enough. Also, she's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. Like that, there's like that concert footage of her doing fade into you. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just, I'm a product of the nineties. Like I'm obsessed with like Mazzy star. Like I would date Bjork in a second. I would take (laughs) Bjork now. Let me call her up. Call Bjork. Call Bjork. Hello. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm warning. Oh, she's uh, she's uh, sorry. She's uh, uh, just there's a time zone difference. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll call you later. I'll, I'll instant message you. Um, great. You got no luck with the Bauhaus version. All right. Well, moving okay. on. I think it was all Love and Rockets. All right. Matilda great Mother. Band. Great band. Matilda Mother. Uh, this one uh, is sung by Richard Wright. There's moments of this that I really like, but nothing really stuck out to me. Flaming. This was the only track released as a single from the album and only in the United States. And this was their third ever single in the United States. I, I'm kind of shocked by this. Is there, uh, is there a clip of this one that we can uh, play? Adam, I didn't pull music of it. Do you have anything from Flaming? Yeah. Oh yeah, this is a big hit. This would go right up against the Beatles and Tiny Tim any day. <laughs> yeah, Dave Clark Five, look out. You can't see me, but I can you. Oh, God. There's a, there was a time in early rock when they, when they had, suddenly they had the freedom to write about whatever they wanted. They didn't have to be like, I want to hold, you know, like a, a boy meets girl stuff. They could get personal and weird. 
And a lot of musicians went back to nursery rhymes and, yeah. and, and like just sort of children's stuff that was uh, uh, even the biggest bands. So it was, it was a strange thing to me, but it, it had to happen before you could, they had to grow up lyrically before they could do more stuff. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. Makes, I'm not, makes not part, no, it does. It's because this, this song is very childlike. They're talking very, about very childlike. unicorns and buttercups. You the know, buttercups line is just made, it's so sweaty. Oh my God, <laughs> Sid, Sid. And, you could, you, and, and I know that they loved them, but you could tell they were probably like, oh, we should be yeah. singing about GTOs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you got this like organ and the bass is all carrying it. It's like all up tempo. The music, though, is the music is there. Music's great. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. All right, then we got to the one that I'm going to fuck up. Pow, R, Tuck. See, I think uh, Bobby McFerrin stole... <laughs> from this band play a taste of it can you pl- can you play the fade out at the end oh oh yeah, yeah. the fade out at the end is great <laughs> the landlord say your rent is late <laughs> tell him you have to wait don't, don't worry, worry. Play power talk It's good. I mean, it's good. If you don't eat your meat, <laughs> you can't eat your pudding. No <laughs> 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 meat, no pudding. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is a power R toxy H? I, f- I forget talk. what it is. I-, I had looked it up before. I forget what it was. Oh, wait, that's, I got my, it. that's my favorite thing on the album. I got it. I got it. The emblem of talk H is an oil lamp. So a power talk H uh, would be an electric torch, probably with a dim bulb as per saying as dim as a talk H lamp. Okay. Representing the Talbot house, a club where officers. So talk H was the army's singulars code for TH representing the Talbot house. Okay. There you go. Cause Pink Floyd is uh, because of Roger Waters is anchored in his family's military past. <laughs> And he's uh, and he lives in that in that World War II Groundhog Day in his head, where he's reliving his family and his father, his relationship with his father in World War II. All those, all the guys in the British invasion bands, they were all from World War II. They're all World War II babies. They all mm-hmm. have huge heads and little tiny bodies because they didn't have a lot of nutrients or milk and stuff. They all have. They're all like the small faces, giant heads and little tiny bodies, but they're all incredibly anchored and tied to World War II and all the shit that happened to England back then. It's, 
and, and they don't talk about it. My dad was in World War II. He was in the Navy. And I didn't find out about his destroyer getting torpedoed and him being in the ocean for like 12 hours with people being eaten by sharks. I didn't find that out until the funeral because those guys don't talk about it. But, and I think Roger Waters was using the music to talk about it later as Pink Floyd became his thing. That's you know crazy. what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I'm sorry, I, I'm, sorry if I, I'm sorry if I'm overthinking this. I didn't want to be the overthinking now, Floyd guy. Now I just grab a lot I, in there. When I see a dude with a big head and, and small body, I'm going to go, dude, you should drink more milk, bro. Like, you need to step your nutrients up. Yeah, like, they were dude. all <laughs> tiny. The Rolling Stones, giant heads and little tiny bodies. The, they said the Beatles looked like aliens, but they were like, I think they were 5'10", those guys. Yeah. I'm 5'10". They, they, yeah. I don't have the big Beetle head. No, you got a good head. You got a good head, solid head. Yeah, dude, solid. <laughs> Bjork would love that head. Um, oh, ooh, hold on, I'm getting a call. Get her on the phone. <laughs> no, no, she wouldn't. Jeez, man. All right, take up thy stethoscope and walk. This is the end of side one. This is the first song written by Pink Floyd uh, by Roger Waters. <laughs> This sounds like, uh, this is the only, only way I can describe this. This sounds like uh, something I heard from one of my dad's old pornos. <laughs> you know? Ooh, like, you're here. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> hey, what are, hey, what are you guys? <laughs> hey, why don't you hey, come over here? Do you have any thoughts on take up thy stethoscope and walk? Not really. Okay. Not really. Yeah, just, just uh, uh, he he was getting, I don't really know that much about it. It didn't jump out to me. I don't want to say, I don't, I would rather say nothing than say something disparaging. Perfect. Then let's move on to interstellar overdrive. Uh, because this is my thoughts on, on this is that this is the most famous track I think from this. Yeah. And, and rightfully so, because here, play the opening real quick, because this, I wanted more of this. Yeah. That's Sid. That's Sid. I, I'm a, I'm a guitar player and I love guitars and tone. And that is, Sid. That's Sid's tone. So, I, this is all I want. I want more of this. This is signature. I, they could have done this if they would have just built off this song. Because this starts and I'm like, dude, this song rules. And then it just goes off the rails into this noise jam. And, and then basically, I'm just kind of like, man, I really wanted more of that intro. They pull it back at the end. Yeah, they do that like and it's really cool if you're listening on good headphones like it goes back and forth between the left and right ear and back and forth and back and forth where I remember I was like walking the FDR with my dog and I was like, holy shit, am I in drugs right now? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I think, but not good not use of stereo. That, yeah, it was it was crazy. And then this was the song that made me 100 percent say, oh, Mars Volta basically stole. I don't want to say stole. But there's a couple songs of Deloused in the Comatorium that I'm like, oh, this is. Yeah. Let's this do is that. This. That's great. Can we do that? Let's do something like that. We can start. Yeah, dude. Nothing, it's like, nothing wrong with that. That's where great music comes from. That's great. I want to sound like that. It's, you know, and it's like you, you find out that this was covered by Pearl Jam, the Melmans, uh, the Melvins, uh, T-Rex. This also came out uh, as number 36 on Rolling Stone magazine's 2008 list of the greatest guitar songs of all time. That's that's interesting to me. I, I I get it. I get that. I guess it's it seems to me like uh, uh, and I could be completely wrong, 
But it sounds to me like this is, again, them, them doing something that was a big staple of the live act that would be different every night. And this was just the version that they, I'm sure they had worked it out over the years and, and the time, but I wonder if there are different versions of this that, are, that are, might even be completely different that all kind of come back to that hook at the end. Because they were sort of a, they were a psychedelic jam band, not like yeah. Fish or anything, but uh-huh. they, would, they would improvise and do stuff in between. So, so I wonder, I wonder if there's other if there's other takes of this because this is like what nine minutes, eleven minutes long, something like that. I mean, yeah, find that out, Adam. You, yeah, he said yes. I I what I found about uh, so this is composition was one of the first psychedelic instrumental improvisations recorded by a rock band. Yeah, improvisation. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the song originated when guitarist Sid Barrett heard the band's manager Peter Jenner humming a song, which Barrett tried to interpret by playing it on his guitar. Yeah, that's how, that's awesome. That's how yeah. rock and roll. That's, that's how it always happens. Mm-hmm. Can I play along with that? <laughs> no, I can't. But I found something else that I really like. You know what well, I mean? That's that's great. What did you write? So to put this into perspective, Aerosmith's "Walk This Way" came out at number came in at number thirty four, and Metallica's "Master of Puppets" at number thirty three. What number was this one? This was number thirty six. Okay, nineteen sixty nine was. Wow. Wow, that riff, that, that there you go, that riff. I'm telling right. you, that riff is that riff is so good that uh, it's like it makes up for a lot of the other stuff on this record. That's really weird. I, I just <laughs> I fucking love it, man. Uh, then you get to, uh, I mean, I, for some reason, why do I think you love this song, the gnome? The gnome. And this is <laughs> this was this was where I, like I said, I was listening to to this album this morning. I was like, I'm okay. I'm gonna gonna listen to it. Uh, I haven't. Uh, heard the whole thing in a while and I love the album but I was listening to it and I was like this is sounds like a fucking Mr. Show sketch yeah it sounds like they're all bouncing around wearing hats that are too big and uh and there here comes some sort of joke about society at the end and uh uh, it was it's just so and it was they were very earnest about it I don't want to I don't want to slag it because it's you know yeah it's it's it's, on the album they loved it they recorded it uh, it's about a gnome uh, named very Grimble. early Bowie-ish when they were all like do the, the fantasy glam shit and, and, and T-Rex was still Tyrannosaurus Rex and they would sit on pillows with their legs crossed and God. play harp tone 12 strings and sing a sing about the woods. Oh yeah. It's back in the woods. Oh, and there's, there's a sparks in the will of the wisp. And then it gets into some sort of weird Welsh mythology reference and, literary stuff that they grew up with that nobody knows about over here. That's why they peak at number 113. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grimble grab. But it's all but it's all great. You love it. It's all good. I mean, I listen, I I, I do I do I hate this song? Not at all. I I can I can look into it and be like, "Okay, this is this I'm is I'm not fun. putting it at number 3 on my makeout mix. No. <laughs> you don't want to make out. I'm not going to run to Runyon Canyon with it. You're not going to make out to the, uh, a song about a gnome named Grimble Grumble. Come on, man. <laughs> Grimble Grumble, Grimble Grumble. Chapter 24, uh I think this one could have been the single on the record because I think this is the most accessible song on the record. Please. Action brings good fortune. Sunset. This is gorgeous. 
You know what? It it doesn't have a beat drop in it. You got to have the beat drop. I know. I know. You, you know what it should have. You know what should have kicked in right there. I think uh, uh, there's there's just not not a lot of hooks. There's not. No, there's not. And, not and a lot that's, of hooks. Yeah, and then there's no. And that's what Pink Floyd became so good at as we went later in their in their career. Then you have the Scarecrow. All I wrote about this was the ending rules. Um, is there any cool facts about this one? Can you Nothing. play? Can you play the ending of the Scarecrow? Yeah, that sort of medieval sound that uh, they have that, you know, that dancing lute and curly toed shoes prancing around kind of a sound. But then they have the, the, the weird power of baby Pink Floyd underneath it. Yes, yes. Uh, and this was recorded in one take. One take. They were, you know, they were, when they went into Abbey Road, they weren't like, it wasn't because they won a radio contest. They had been playing every night at the biggest clubs and huge crowds and were really, really, they had it down. So, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, it's still, still a little, you know, ling -da -ding -da -ding -da -ding. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they had their shit together. They weren't, they were they were very professional if nothing else. They were young, but very professional. How old are they when they make this record, Adam? Do you guys know? Find out for us, Adam. I'd, I'd love to know how old they the were. There's the picture. The picture of them. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this on a podcast, which is rude. But I'm gonna see if I can find the picture of them after they had signed with e EMI, and they're coming out of the the offices, and they're wearing their finest dandy clothes, and they have their hair all permed in the style of the Clapton cream Hendrix times. So they're in their early twenties at this point. Barrett was 21 when it was written. God, 21, man. Here, here's, here's this picture. Can you see this? This is them celebrating signing with EMI. Sorry. I got, there you go. Yeah, dude. Dandy. Yeah. And Foppish, look at them. Almost. They're, they're teenager. How old were they? Early twenties. Early twenties. 21. They're kids. I, I was you're 21 as a kid. And, and, and of course, you're, you're not a child. No. But, but you're a kid. Yeah. And they were just, they were uh, uh, excited and happy to be there. And then Sid went, Sid burned out like a goddamn meteor. And oh, there it is. They look, they're, they're little, little boys. God, it's, it's crazy. And they grew into these powerful, powerful adults and then, you know and, I mean? then and then fucking and fucking david gilmore you know what was this really attractive dude and then he turned into anakin skywalker from the end of return <laughs> of the jedi like yeah he, the, uh, the he really when they, when, when they take him off the they take the helmet off of anakin or darth vader i'm like it's david gilmore yeah no shit he was I, him all the time <laughs> i would think that if i had hair that good for that long i would shave it off at the end to say you know what <laughs> i'm gonna stand on stand on 20. uh final song on the record bike uh this part i'm about to play might be my favorite part of the entire record
don't know why I love that, but I, but I really do. Uh, so Pink Floyd guitarist Sid Barrett wrote this for his girlfriend, Jenny Spires, in the song. Spires. Sid shows her his bike, which he borrowed. He also shows her his mouse named Gerald. Gerald. Clan of I don't know why I call him Gerald. <laughs> a clan of gingerbread men and a clock. And at the end of the song, Sid takes her to his music room. Barrett was 18 when he met 15-year-old Jenny in 1964. They started dating the following year, which was when he wrote Bike. Barrett would often create artwork and poetry for Spires. And Bike was his version of a love song. Spires recalled him being very lovely. And Nick Mason considers this one of Sid Barrett's best songs. He's quoted saying, the lyrics to this are so very Sid, astonishingly clever. It's fun, but there's a depth of sadness to them. And mm -hmm. Fish has covered this song numerous times at shows. I could, 100% I could see that. It's, it's a great song. Like I said, Hot Rats covered it, Supergrass, my favorite band, and, they, uh, and it doesn't have the magic that this one has. It's, it just sounds like, you know, like a rock band. But this has the, the, the part that you like where, you know, that comes in with the weird harmonies. That was just a, a, a reprise of a couple of times before in the song where it was just kind of light and tinkly and a little faster in the same sort of uh, uh, tempo. And then at the end, they bring in the Pink Floyd thing where it gets big and kind of and and lifts you up a little bit. Yeah. During the sessions for the song, David Gilmore visited the studio on Barrett's invitation and was shocked by the perceived changes in Barrett's personality when he did not appear to recognize him. For many years, Gilmore would recall this saying, I'll go on record as saying that was when he changed. And uh, I mean, and maybe this adds to it. Barrett played the slide guitar work on this song with a Zippo later. I mean, that's that's not like, you know, totally unusual, but it's kind yeah. of kind of a little, uh, you know, it's, you use what you have. And then you were talking about covers. Uh, Bowie covered this uh, for a 73 mm. release of pinups. Yes. Um, and I remember when I put the feelers out because, you know, we were we, we wanted to get the perfect guest for this. And, dude, I, I can't stress enough how perfect you were for this. So I'm so I'm good. I'm glad. I'm glad. This is I'm fun. I, you know, I'm so thankful that I went on to the Pink Floyd Twitter page and I was like, who's following Pink Floyd? And then I saw <laughs> you and I was like, dude, Blaine, let's get fucking Blaine, dude. And like this, the thank you. But they don't, yeah. I, I slide into their DMs all the time. They didn't ever slide back. Yeah, man. Dude, I don't know if they're, who's controlling it. He's probably Roger because he's a yeah, dick. Roger. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, pros and cons of hitchhiking. <laughs> Uh, so here's some related, unrelated facts, uh, related and unrelated to the album and the band. Uh, so I don't know if you know this, because I saw you put the tweet out earlier about the 500 songs or whatever. That was really funny. Not 500 worst albums of yeah, all time. Yeah, Songs to Fuck To by, uh, Leonard, by, Cohen. by Leonard Cohen. That's my favorite. <laughs> um, so the new list came out in 2020 and the album changed. The, the albums changed. Uh, I mean, they're all over the place. This album actually jumped up 94 spots. Wow. Number 253 on the 2020 list it, it is it is uh, uh it's an artifact and it's not a bad one it's not the pink floyd you're used to but it's uh you know it's like sometimes guitars are built at an early factory and they're great and then sometimes better guitars or or more good guitars are built at a different factory and they have the same name on them yeah you know i it's weird because usually and adam i mean correct me if i'm wrong when we do that when we say hey the new list came out and most of the time the records haven't been on there right 
like the neither of the Yardbirds records made it, and most of the time it either falls back or falls off the list entirely. Oh, yeah, jumps, but not many. Yeah, but not many. So I think I, they would be I, elite. They would have one on there just to have the Yardbirds on there someplace. Yeah, you know, but it's, that's it's, not why you put albums on lists. No, it's there. This new list is. It's just. It wasn't. First of all, here's the deal. The old list was written by old white people. This new list was written by everybody. And so yeah. you know, you're gonna you're gonna lose the Yardbirds. There's no reason that you know the Yardbirds need four records on the list when only a couple of them are really important in the big picture. Now, after going through this and talking to you, I can see why this record is on there. I've talked to Greg Chait. My buddy, it's like, it makes sense. Like this, I might not appreciate this record as much as I appreciate Wish You Were Here or Animals because I was mad. I was like, how the fuck is Animals not on this list, man? Just for, you know, like there's every song on it is perfect. And and I get it. It's because it's just more of the same. Whereas, whereas this is how you get to all of that and you get to the David Gilmore stuff and the Roger yeah. Waters stuff. And plus like, like all the covers, you have all these other artists that are, that are valid and uh, vital that have been dipping into this well. And I mean, doing covers of the songs directly and incorporating the sounds and the, and the, the attitudes of it. So uh, here are two quick things, then I'll do rapid questions. Uh, the band's record deal was relatively poor for the time. They only got a 5,000 pound advance over five years. That's Low like two, almost, that's almost two tons. I, I mean, no, it's, no, it's two and a half tons. <laughs> it's two and a half tons, but I mean, you can't pay your, for your flat rent on tons. You know what I mean? You need cold, hard cash money but they had low royalties and no free studio time however it did include album development and emi unsure of exactly what kind of band they had signed gave them free reign to record whatever they wanted which probably is the most important thing they get final cut and then you get an album called final cut many years later which is actually the sound yeah. of the band breaking up yeah from what i was told that that album was sent he like did it and then just gave it to him it was like add your parts but this is the record yeah right? yeah it was kind of like uh this is this is what it is and you guys are playing on it yeah 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 all right last uh last fact and then i'll do rapidly rapids uh when this album was being recorded uh paul mccartney uh who's down the studio uh down the hall from the studio overheard some of the early tapes from the outlandish sessions down the hall referred to them as knockout and pete townsend uh for one felt betrayed by piper he, like McCartney, had been one of the band's high-profile supporters during their UFO days, making an album of twee pop songs. However, Unorthodox seemed to Towson antithetical to the spirit of, of Pink Floyd. Wow. That's, uh, you know what? I, 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 uh, I can see exactly what uh, Pete Townsend is saying because it's, uh, like I said before, when you see Pink Floyd live, you get the the power of their of the volume and the uh, uh, the sound and the spectacle of it, and you go into the the thing and you know oh, I've got the bike you can ride it if you like and it yeah. sounds like it was recorded in a you know in a backyard yeah and it's and it's great but it doesn't have that it's like the Ramones you see them live you're deaf for three days you hear them on record dan ticket 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 dan ticket 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 dan ticket yeah. So it's it's uh, I think maybe Pete was mad that they weren't able to capture the 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 grandeur of them live, which yeah. is what you want to do with an with a, a a band that you love. You want you want them to want to go. That's exactly what they sound like when I see them live. They're so great. Radiohead. 
Radiohead sounds exactly, they really do pull off that studio live and it, it translates. It's the, you know, Johnny Greenwood like makes the same noises. It fills it out. And there's the power of air being moved and yeah. sound hitting you in the rib cage. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like I'm mean, going to, some of the hit people like Bruce Springsteen always sounds like it. I mean, but that's not this kind of band LCD sound system. I saw LCD Sound System a couple times when when we were doing a lot of the music festivals in the summer of 2016. And I'm not the biggest LCD Sound System fan, but I know all their songs. And, you know, you listen to them and then you see them live. You're like, yeah, dude, they're doing it right. And then you see a band like Alt-J, who's not, who I guess could be kind of on this, like, this kind of genre of, you know, their lyrics are very dark and, you know, make you look deeper inside yourself. And their music is a little, you know, Radiohead-esque and even Pink Floyd-esque. Uh, but their their live show was terrible. I was just like, God, this band fucking, I can't uh, believe I just paid $35 for this. I want, my buddy Greg really made a great point. So the Beatles are the most influential. Zeppelin, greatest rock. Now that's all debatable to a point. Sure. But greatest artists of all time. We're talking music, songwriting, album cover, concerts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Was Pink Floyd the greatest? And if not, who? Because hmm. the Beatles only toured for a few years. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't, you know, they would play very short shows. They would do like half hour shows, 20 yeah. minute half hour shows. And they would walk out and have to tune up, and turn on their own mic, their own yeah. amps and stuff. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know, I think Floyd ushered in stadium type shows and that kind of spectacle obviously and they did use a lot of art yeah yeah i guess maybe it would be them i mean the stones were they were the the workhorse guys but yeah i guess it would be as, as far as art is concerned probably pink floyd i know i know i know bowie was always an artist his each one of his th albums was like a, a different art project so you know you could you could look at it like that, but you know, I mean, that was, if you're talking about bands versus a, a singular artist. Yeah. That's where you get into the, that's where you get into the rock critic weeds. I mean, it's, you know, and I love, uh, the reason I love Miles Davis, the reason I love the Beatles, the reason I love Radiohead, you start here and you just constantly evolve and evolve and evolve and evolve until by the final record, you sound nothing like that first one. Now, there, you know, this wasn't the concrete lineup. It wasn't like Sid's been in there from the beginning, but there's something about this art to hear. This makes me appreciate the later stuff even more. And, and you're still hearing those elements in dark side of the moon from this record, whether it's the, 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 the drop and breathe the buildup and then the drop and those noises. It's like they took what Sid did and gave them and then went with it into the David Gilmore and the Roger Waters direction, which is, which is brilliant. And so, yeah, I, cause I, dude, you, you talked to me a week ago before I taped this and, and I was like, man, I hate this record. I really, didn't <laughs> like it. I really did not like it. But after doing the week of listening to other Pink Floyd and fitting this one in, in between, and then talking to you, it, it's just, it's really changed my opinion. Am I going to listen to it again? Probably not, but I appreciate it. Power yeah, dude. It's, you know, it's I, I think listening to this record is like looking at a picture of your cat as a kitten. It still kind of looks like your cat, but it is your cat. Yeah. It's different. It, it, but there's the, oh, there's the stripes. There's the stripes that are starting. They're kind of, you know, the eyes are a different color, but then the eyes change. 
but it's the same cat and the cat grows into something else that can kill and eat stuff. I like the fact that they became what they did and I like the fact that they started where they did. It was, they touched a lot of people along the way in all their different shapes and forms, I guess. No, completely. All right, rapid fires. Uh, I love the cat analogy, by the way. Dude, that's, we're pulling that out. Pull that out, Adam. That we're clip that. That'll be an Instagram clippy. Favorite song on the record, Blaine? Uh, Power Toxie. Okay. Least favorite song on the record? Oh, uh, uh, I think Matilda Mother. This is, I ask everybody this. What song on the record would you fuck to? <laughs> <laughs> I would say Power Toxie. Ooh, Ooh, yeah, or you know what? You know what? Probably bike. Here's why. <laughs> why? I would I would start the album at the beginning and it would probably take till the time bike started to actually get any action. And that would be playing and just sort of stop and you would just hear that <laughs> the needle in the groove the inner groove. Yeah. <laughs> uh as she's like, Are you done? <laughs> And then you're like, let's put back on the uh, the poxy toxy. <laughs> Lucifer Sam, Siam <laughs> cats. I, I fucked with the gnome. I fucking love that song. Dude. <laughs> um, I'm also very mythical. I wear shrouds when I have sex. I like to pull like a string and have my shroud fall off. Very like, you know, Game of Thrones-esque. Uh, um, tr- oh, true story, by the way. Uh, the music that was playing when I lost my virginity was uh, Marillion script for a jester's tear. What is that? It was uh, the the band uh, Marillion. It was like a prog band, Jethro Tully band. Oh, dude. And their (laughs) album was called Script for a Jester's Tear. And it was playing while I was losing my virginity. And I remember thinking to myself, should I get up and put on some XTC or something? (laughs) And I was like, no, maybe I should just keep losing my virginity. Keep doing it. Don't fuck it up, dude. It's happening. This, This question I'm actually really excited about asking. Um, cause you have, you have, you have the three different versions basically in the three different minds of Pink Floyd. So who are you and who do you think's the best waters Gilmore or Sid? You know, I'm going to go with Gilmore cause he's, uh, cause he's kept his shit together, but I love Sid so much. Yeah. And Roger's great. Roger's great. It's just, I feel like he's, you know, I just, everything I hear about the, you know, the final cut and like the wall, it just, it just makes me be like, come on, man. Like, yeah. You know what? I, I, I don't take bands personally anymore. I just, I, I like them. And, and if they have, if they have cool stuff going on behind the scenes, that's great. And if they, if they're assholes, it's like, ah, oh, whatever. I like the song. I love hotel yeah. California. I don't want to hear about how those guys are jerks. Yeah. I know, no, I know totally. they're jerks, but I know every note in the solo. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I am. I am 100% Team Gilmore. 100% Team Gilmore. He's, I, he's so he's he's such a great player. It's insane how good of a player he is. His solo record, I think it was fuck. I forget what it was called. Uh, blue light. Did it have blue light on it? Hold on. I let me just pull it up because I want to make sure that I I can say it. Uh, David Gilmore. Uh, the record came out in oh, on an island. Came out in two thousand and six. Oh, okay, and and I yeah, because I, I didn't listen to the other ones. I just remember when that came out was when I was a music director for Channel One News. Uh, and and I remember they gave me an unlimited iTunes uh, account, so I could just download whatever I wanted. So I spent most of the time just downloading music I wanted, and I'd be like, all right, well here you know here's a song for your story on you know. A malaria in Africa and then I would just like download shit and I remember that came out and I was like I just was obsessed with that record it was so good uh, so everybody out there listen to it all right and final question 
Final question. Does this deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? Yes, of course. I think, yeah, it's the first It's the first Pink Floyd album with Sid Barrett noted acid casualty on it. Of course yeah. it should be on there. I do too. I, I, I usually don't say, you know, anything about it. Uh, it's usually just led up to the guests, but I, I do. I really genuinely do because of everything that we've talked about prior, it, it just makes sense. And I see why, Adam, it moved up. I definitely see why it moved up because it's, it's important, man. And you don't get MGMT, you don't get all these other bands if Pink Floyd doesn't have the psychedelic period and Sid Barrett doesn't, you know, create the legend that is Sid Barrett. Blaine, this was great. Uh, promote away. Anything you got to promote, please. Uh, you can always hear me playing Dungeons and Dragons on Brian Posehn's Nerd Poker podcast. Nice. Uh, follow me on Twitter and um, come see me live. I think if this is going to be before November, I'll be in Anaheim and San Diego with Pat Oswalt, November nice. 13th and 14th. So come nice. see me live if you can. Or come see me live anywhere. Oh, and uh, uh, I host Lucha Vavoom, the Mexican wrestling and burlesque extravaganza. And uh, once we get uh, back on our COVID feet, that'll be up and running again. And I host nice. that. Please come and see it. It's off TH. <laughs> Dude, and we've been trying to get Brian Posehn, but we don't have any like real heavy metal records. So, <laughs> so help us get Brian. Hey, and hey talk, talk about hip hop. He's a hip hop guy too. Really? Yeah, he's a hip hopper. Dude. I, 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 would, I lived in his... Uh, uh, when he moved to uh, L.A. before me and Patton, I moved into his old r apartment room and he left his stuff there and I would just make mixes off of his hip hop and rock collections. No way, dude. Yeah, and, since he's, he's a deep hip hop guy. Deep hip hop. Yeah. Would have never thought. Love that about him. Brian, I'll get you. Oh, De La Soul. De La Soul's next week. Oh, wow. Fantastic. He, I, went like to see, I went to see uh, uh, my friend Mike Sweeney really quick. My friend Mike Sweeney, he's a comedian. Do you know him? Mm, I don't. He was, uh, uh, he was doing warm. This is, I was living in Baltimore. He calls me up and he goes, Hey, I'm doing warm up at the MTV big show and XTC is on it. Do you want to come up? I'll get you in if you want to see XTC. And I drove four hours in three hours and I got there and I watched XTC do a live set on the big show, which was uh, rare and uh, 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 delightful. But yeah. in the hallway, De La Soul was also on the show and they walked by me in the hallway and they were fucking huge they were big dudes do you remember the movie the fifth element duh do you know in the, you know in the beginning uh the aliens in those big weird brass spacesuits yeah look like eggs that look like steampunk eggs yeah uh that's what de la soul looked like those no giant fucking huge weird brass robots at the beginning of fifth element they were they were otherworldly i loved it and then and then right at the beginning of their set they went oh <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, favorite thing ever. <laughs> and then uh, uh, and then Lilo comes out for twenty minutes. <laughs> just, it's like all right, multipass. All right, bitch, come on, we fucking get it, dude. Multi yeah, that's them. Let me see it. Wait, I gotta get rid of exit screen thing. Oh yeah, De La Soul, dude. If you can help us, if he's a De La Soul fan, if you can help us get Posein, please. Plane, uh, <laughs> either way. Dude, this was phenomenal. You were the perfect guest for this. I can't thank you enough for coming on and being so oh. cool, man. This was great. It was it was my pleasure. I had a had a great time. It was uh, uh, the more you talk about, the more you want to talk about. Fuck yeah, dude. 
um, the, yeah, this was cool. And uh, uh, if you ever want to do anything again or, or uh, need someone, call me up. I'm around. I, we will. 100% we will. Uh, and what we can do is I'll have Emily send you the list and then, you know, just, just give us like what you know that you can. Cause we've had like, we've had like some reoccurring, like, you know, Wayne Fetterman's been on a bunch. Burr's been on a bunch. Uh, Big J, you know, we've had Neil deGrasse Tyson. So we've had, we've had every, we've had everybody, but I, I dude, this is great. You were, you were so, you were just, you were the perfect guest for this because we were really worried that we were going to get somebody that only is like me and only appreciates the later Pink Floyd. And so for you to come out and just be like, so spot on, that my buddy Greg and, and and even the old writer Morty was like, you got to get somebody that's like really a Pink Floyd fan. And dude, you fucking killed it, man. So I can't thank you enough. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Blaine Kapatch. Listen to the podcast that he mentioned, uh, nerdpokerpod.com. Check it out. He is the best, but follow him. He is one of a kind. For listener shout out this week, I want you guys to follow Denise K. She's at D-E-N-I-S-E-K-2662. She's always tweeting stuff. I love her to death. And follow Denise. I love you, Denise. Uh, new music this week. What do we got? The Cosmic Highway. They're from Jacksonville. Psychedelic riffs, melodic grooves, and eccentric lyrics. Uh, they are influenced by Pink Floyd. And you're listening to the song Necromancer off the 2021 record. Line in to the Reverb Reef. Follow the links, the500podcast.com. And send us your song because we want to play it. 500podcast at gmail.com. Tell us who he was influenced by it. Or you influence Whatever the words are. Next week is De La Soul Week as we go deep into 1989's Three Feet and Rising. It's a hard record to find. It's not on Dark Lord, Spotify, or Apple, or anything, so I had to get somebody to send it to me. But man, oh man, a Shevitz, it's a goodie. Do your homework.
everyone, I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Next Chapter Podcasts.